Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talk today to Terry Filber, who's the CEO of East Asia Minerals. They're a TSXV gold explorer with two assets in Indonesia. We're focused mainly on their Sangi project, which is something that they think with 6.3 million bucks, they're going to be able to get into production. 1.3 of that is costs. Uh, they think that they'll be able to ramp it up within 15, 16 months to 2,000 ounces per month. They do have a larger project in the shape of Miwa, but that's something for another day. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Terry. How are you, sir? Matthew Degree, how are you doing today? I hope you're being safe over there. Totally responsible citizen right here. What about you? Where, whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Seattle today. I've been here, stuck here for about 30 days. They can't get up to my office in Vancouver even, so they won't let me cross the border. Oh, wow. Okay. But you, you, you normally spend a lot of your time in Asia, don't you? I'm usually in uh, Indonesia for two months out, two months and then one month back. Okay. So gotcha. basically I'll move back, hopefully one month back, sometimes not that long. Okay, well, hopefully normality will return soon, but not sooner than it than it should. Um, you're going to tell us today about uh, East Asia Minerals, um, but why don't you kick off, give us a one-minute story, and then we'll pick it up from there. Well, East Asia Minerals uh, was established in 2005. Um, I came into this operation in 2017. Uh, during that time, it had a number of... Uh, uh, mining projects, one which basically sold, I think, for $80 million was the Ukrainian, Ukrainian project in uh, Mongolia. Um, the most famous one was their Miwa project, which in 2011 gave this company a market cap of $600 million. Uh, basically, due to some missteps by management at that time, it uh, went down from there. Uh, I came into this company in 2017, as I said, and I came in with the project of Sangye which is one that's never really looked at. It was, it was acquired by the company at the same time they acquired Miwa because Miwa had gone to you know, gangbusters invested no money into it. I had a mining project 200 kilometers away from it on the same gold reef, knew the area really well. So that's how I became involved is basically attracted through that project. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a fall from grace, 600 million market cap down to three today. It's a lot of missteps. It was one when I started. It was one when yeah, you when started. Yeah, when it came, it was one. <laughs> Yeah. You're a th three times guy. Okay. Let's get into this. Well, they, we, we were 13 times at one time. We were, I think we were up to about uh, 25 million, but we had uh, some bad players that came in, uh, help, some promoters that helped me you know, uh, get the funding in the beginning, but then decided to like the company themselves, had a proxy battle, squashed the stock. And uh, from we, they, the people they brought in, they kind of squished okay. uh, trying to take the company over. So we never got recovered from that. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a lot of um, parts here which are going to be new to people. So, for instance, Indonesia, which we'll I'll come to in a second. Um, obviously, there's a lot of history to this thing in terms of it. It has been worth a lot of money. Um, that's full. Can you tell us a little bit about why that fell off so quickly? Down to you know getting promoters in. What, what happened between 600 million and promoters? Well, you know, helping pump it up. Basically, from the story I know, again, I came in after. Uh, from sure. the story I've learned from people inside the company, uh, and outside the company for that fact, uh, is basically they had uh, been doing drilling. Mike Hawkins brought this project in. Uh, Mike was the CEO at the time. He brought the project in. Uh, they it, The project was known to have protected forests, but they could still work in it to, to a certain extent before the Norwegians promised $2 billion to uh, Sumatra. 
uh, province to stop uh, burning down the forest. Um, then they changed the laws where they couldn't drill on it anymore. Um, he had actually found a way to fix that, but then he became deathly ill uh, and went back to Australia uh, and he quit the company immediately. Uh, the gentleman took over, didn't like the deal. It was, one, it was, it was a deal cut with the, gover with the governor. It had to do with, uh, was it, uh, carbon credits. There were carbon credits. Uh, and basically, that next CEO uh, squashed the deal and you know, so they didn't follow through. Uh, the government was quite pissed off about it. Of you, you think, yeah, and also, but it could have been fixed. And you know, this is well, five years ago. And then basically, Tocqueville sent someone over uh, back in 2015 to help with that. And he also basically worked out a deal to fix it. And again, the management, the current manager at that time, uh, Ed Rochette, did not follow through. And so, you know, again, they lost the opportunity to take care of that issue. Okay. And so it's it's because the it's been on suspension since 2014. Um, so basically, it's you know nothing's happened to it since. Okay, so let's we'll probably come back to that again because it's obviously still on the books, right? Um, yeah. Let's talk about Indonesia as a country, if I may. So in any case, it's actually not on the books. The because accounting for some accounting reasons, uh, it had to be taken off the books, so it's been written off. But we still have twenty million dollars in drilling data. We still have contacts with the Aceh government. So we're still very much basically, and we still have it as suspension. But uh, as an account for accounting reasons, I was told before I came in, they had to take it off the books. Okay, so you're sitting on data which you th you're ascribing some value to, presumably. If you spent 20 million bucks on drilling, that data must you be valuable to, to someone. 20 million now. Right, okay. <clears throat> Again, let's come back to that if, if, because I think that we are kind of want to work my way down into the, the asset of May. But let's start with Indonesia because, again, my perception of Indonesia, having tried to do business there on a couple of occasions, it is uh, red tape, a lot of red tape. We did not get deals done because we couldn't get certain licenses and permits. And again, I think you touched on one of the reasons why forestry license, for instance, able, you know, being able to work there. So you've, you've worked there for a long time. So can you tell me yes. a little bit about it? Well, you have to be on the ground. If you're just coming from outside and trying to be successful, or if you are. Um, you have to be there all the time. You have to basically, the problems come up quick and fast and furious. And unless you understand what you're dealing with, you have to have a, a, a network to deal with problems. Um, problems aren't what they are pure. Most of the time, the pure problem is insurmountable, but they always have back doors. They almost invent back doors to you know, give you a way to solve it. Um, but you have to play on their terms. And most Westerners don't understand that. And so they get caught up in things and they bring in, uh, consultants which basically take advantage of that and so they make money but they can't they don't really solve the problem so unless you're on the ground i won't have an operation in Indonesia unless i'm there because it's a guaranteed way to lose money um you have to have a really solid team in place you can do it then we have a very solid team our head of our, our gm basically has been there for, for i guess 40 years been mining for 40 years he's more, more on the asx side but he's been doing gold and copper mining uh with you know a number of companies there and he speaks fluent Bahasa. And actually, I used to come to him before as my director to help me fix my problems on the ground. He's really good at the locals. But you have to be that good, you know, basically, to get things done. Okay. If you're coming from the outside, it, it doesn't work. Well, that, that's a really interesting point. And again, for learnings for everyone, when you're looking at companies, because um, I've, you know, I've looked at what well, I've invested in offshore uh, Indonesia for well, gas um, and we looked at trying to get a couple of projects done onshore right recall 
having a local partner isn't enough because they don't necessarily have the skills. They're just a local partner and it's a bit of paperwork. Right. Right. But what you're, you're saying to me, you need, you, you want to be on the ground. You want your ops team to be on the ground to solve problems which are going to come up. Finding good local partners in Indonesia are very, very difficult. Most of them basically are not helpful um, and tend to basically be the opposite. So I tend not to stay away from partners as much as possible. I look at people bringing people in as consultants or as advisors. Um, once you give equity away, then and the, usually they don't ever provide. If you have a large you know, equity partner, then that's different. But a lot of these are smaller partners that try to come in and basically you know, take advantage of the project. Um, so it's best to basically have people that have, you know, uh, responsibilities, very clear what their deliverables are. Um, we say local partner, then it's, there's really no deliverables. Okay. Um, you know, basically they're supposed to, you know, put money in lots of times they find they don't. And you end up basically having your know, other issues. So, um, again, we're a smaller operation. I mean, if we're a larger, you know, a larger operation, but even if you look at those with, you know, the new monsters, stuff like that, their partnerships have been equally as fraught. Um, so you really can't, you really can't, you know, depend on your partners as much in Indonesia. You have to depend on yourself and, and building a good team. There's great people there. The people are excellent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you can find really good people there, but it's like any place else. You got to qualify them and you have to work with them a little bit and you keep the best, you, you protect the best and you get rid of the worst quickly. Okay. Um, so my, you know, the things I've been, I've got a good team that was, was doing mining for me in Rana Tuk Tuk, which was very close to San Diego. And the idea was move those that team over to Sangye to do the same thing. And we had you know heap leach operation there. Sangye is going to do the same thing. Okay, and so there's there is a mining industry there, clearly. On, in oh, very large, yes, some, especially North Okinawa. Absolutely, some some very very some very big names, some billions of dollars. So it, it, it's possible, but you did hint there that it even for the big guys it can be difficult. So your overall impression of Indonesia is you need to be boots on the ground, no, be connected uh, to be able to get things done. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. That's okay. What, I mean, it, it basically, it, I looked at the mine in Nevada, okay? They told me to take five years for me to get my license. In Indonesia, I could do it in a year if we didn't have all the, I would have had the license done in one year if we hadn't had all these uh, delays in funding. So basically, again, if you know what you're doing, if you have the right people, you get things done very quickly there. Right. But basically, and here, yeah, you really can't, you can't really take shortcuts in the United States compared to Indonesia or some uh, of the Southeast Asian countries. Okay. And give me, what's your background? Why are you involved? Uh, my background is I did uh, start to Silicon Valley back in the the uh, 90s. Then I ended up at the largest headhunting company, IT headhunting company in Hong Kong for about uh, 10 years in Hong Kong. And then basically at a very large import export company and uh, uh China, which exported building materials to Australia mostly, and then uh, we, I got involved in, in exporting timber from Indonesia to Australia, and then they basically then uh, asked me to sell coal into China, which I did. But I bought some coal mines in Indonesia, and then I found coal was going to be dangerous, so I got into gold. Right. And so I just I'm kind of a surfer on a surfboard, looking for the next wave. Right. Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm a chronic entrepreneur. Right. And I'm an investor trying to work out what team I'm backing. So I need to work out. So you're an ops guy is what I'm hearing. Ops. Who's who? Yeah, this, I, I don't, yeah. Who are the guys who are actually looking at this geologically, technically, and evaluating what it is that you've got? Okay. Frank Roca is our uh, qualified person, our chief geologist. 
Uh, he was the one that did the drilling in 2013 on Sangier. Uh, he has a really good understanding of Sangier. He also does a little bit about Miwa. Um, basically, he used to work for Barrick for around eight years. Uh, he's been in the he's been a geologist for about 35 years, 25 years internationally. Um, he basically, he's been working in Chile, uh, so he's working in South America, Indonesia, um, so yeah, the parts of Southeast Asia and Africa. Um, so basically, he has been with the company since 2013, well, 2012, I believe. Um, when I came in, he wasn't with the company. I brought him back. Uh, he has a really good understanding of the area. Uh, he's actually, uh, I, when I first looked at this project, I only looked at a 58,000 ounce pit at surface for myself. That's what I want. I was buying this for myself. I mean, to me, that was great. 58,000, it, it's oxides at surface. So, you know, so basically, it's inexpensive to get to get going on. It's inexpensive to process. Um, I could do 1,000 ounces a month within probably six months. And at that time, that was $7,000 a month free cash flow. And for a single guy, it's not a bad thing. You know, so, uh, so I thought that was probably, you know, a really good uh, deal. But then you know, we having some issues, you know, after trying to buy it with the management of uh, East Asia, I went to meet with a gentleman named John Hathaway, who suggested I should take over the whole company, which not having ever been a public company guy, or I'm not a promoter. I'm, I'm, I'm an operator. I like being on the ground. I like being in the hole. I love holding the gold. You know, when you, once you get into gold, yeah, I don't think it's going back. Um, that and heroin, they're two of the most addictive things in the world. Um, so basically, it's been uh, a really good uh, trip. But you know, when Pathway suggests I take over the public company, I really had no idea what I'd get myself into. Um, I didn't really understand how the public markets worked. I made some mistakes. And I'm just I'm trying to correct those now. I've been trying to raise the money I usually raise through you know, private entities such as in Asia. I had you know, money out of China lined up you know, several times. But China's had its own issues the last couple of years. It's been made more difficult. And also gold has been really difficult to raise money for, or, you know, gold mining. So the last six months, we're all saying gold's finally taken off. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's, get in, let's get into some of those things, though. So you, let me understand some of the names involved, because obviously Tocqueville and John Hathaway, Nat Sprott. So Sprott's involved in here. I know they're 13 14% shareholder right. in this thing, okay? Um, who, are, who are the other names we'd recognize in here? Uh, well, basically, uh, Hathaway is probably the main one. I've not, like I said, I've not gone out and looked for institutionals. I've not basically been, I mean, I've just brought a, a gentleman named uh, Jared Wong in uh, to basically run my IR and also run my um, funding. You know, uh, he basically was recommended by you know, some of my chief shareholders. Um, so we're just starting to basically work on building our public energy. This is, this is basically beautiful blonde in the dark. Okay, we have a great story. We have a great project. The thing is, we've not got a story out there, and everyone still thinks of Miwa as the story. When really, Sangye is the story because it's it's near-term cash flow. We have two great assets. First, I get the short you know, pitches. We have two great assets with 3.3 million ounces. Basically, we have one could be into, and with 200,000 of those ounces could be in production within six months once we break ground. So near-term cash flow at 1,000 ounces a month within nine months. We have 2,000 ounces a month within probably around, oh, I would say probably around six months after that. Uh, there's basically expanding, you know, heat bleach. So it's, it's, you know, we can, and as we drill, we can also drill that property out to well over a million ounces. So basically, so that, so that's near term. That's what we can do right away and put that on the bottom line. Then we have, you know, meanwhile, we can go in and that's, that is fixable. Um, basically, you know, everything is there. The, the actual government's been very, you know, been very interested in getting, you know, getting it back up and running, but they want someone that's going to basically keep investing money. We were the only ones approved that we would do that. 
And so they're, they're still quite interested in basically, you know, pursuing that. Okay, so let's continue along the line of the quick pitch because I, I don't mind that. So you can get up to 2,000 ounces a month in, let's say, nine, so you're saying, what, 15 months' time. Let's, let's say 18 months, okay? Yeah. And you're asking for how much... Once you break ground. Once you break ground, of course. How much money are yeah. you trying to raise? Right now, we're just doing... We're trying to move the license board. We have basically really one uh, public meeting we have to we have to hold, and then the licenses basically can be uh, listed once we paid our taxes. So so we're basically raising money right now to move the license forward to, to the 300,000. Uh, we're raising 300,000 now to move the license forward on the meeting. And then basically we'll do another funding after that once we can get the share price up uh, to basically raise money for the uh, taxes. And then we have our license. And the license is good for 30 years. Right, and so what's, the, what's that total? 300,000 plus what? For the Plus million, about 1.3 million. 1.3 million kind of clears the DAX. And then you got to raise some money to actually we need, we need around uh, five million a week in base in, in uh, production. Five million all in, including your one point three. Yes. Okay. And that can't, um, five five million five million on actually five million on top of the one point three. Okay, so six point three million bucks going to get you into point where you can get into production at one thousand uh, ounces a month for nine months. Then you right. get up to two thousand shortly thereafter. Right. And. And, this, and the model that you're employing, the thought process that you got here is, if I can get into early production with this near surface oxide uh, or body, um, I can generate enough cash to develop at a phase two plant. Is that that's? We should be able to generate about a thousand ounces a month. We should be able to generate about a million dollars free cash flow. Okay, I built the, the drilling program we're looking at to drill out this area where I think we can get about a million ounces out. It's about thirty-five thousand uh, meters. It's uh, it don't, it's not hard rock, so we don't need, we don't need to use diamond drill. We use RC rigs, and there's not very deep. It's all the surface. Basically, the deepest hole is maybe 180 meters, average 150, and we're talking basically around um, oh, 120 days to RC rigs that can drill out the project. Okay, so you, you get you get to that stage, and what does what does that do? I mean, I'm trying to work out what this thing looks like because it's always going to be a perpetual well, small operation. Like, well, it basically what it looks like is in uh, let's say two years from now. We have we have hopefully a million ounces, of, you know, and half of those being oxides, basically sitting a sangier on the books. We also have uh, we also have let's say two thousand ounces a month, and we're putting some of that that money we're getting in as as uh, free cash flow, every free cash drilling into Miwa to basically get Miwa uh, back up and running. And uh, there's actually a lot of other projects in Indonesia also available. Um, I've looked at some projects down in Ecuador, but I don't know if I want two two countries of the same risk as basically you know I have right now. Um, but okay. basically, we we expand in a number of ways. But, but meanwhile, would be a big enough expansion, I think, for the time being. Right. So, so I'm I'm just interested in how do we get from A to B to C to D, etc. So let, let's not talk about Ecuador. Let Let's talk about okay. Okay. Pr project number one. You're talking about how you get with six point three million bucks, you get into production, and then thereafter, that project does not need any additional cash from you. You will develop it at with the cash it produces. Correct. Once we have the, with the cash flow there, we'll pay for the drilling project. Uh, we'll also basically buy, we'll also get a um, uh, production plant, but we do that on a lease. So the, the project, the, the only extra piece we do there is basically the production plant, which will be uh, a uh, probably about a $4 million plant, and that will be done on a lease or financing. And then uh, once, I, once I'm pouring gold, then basically it's fairly simple to do that. 
And then uh, after that, we'll basically use that free cash flow for the drilling. And once the drilling completed, we'll basically be able to expand. We can expand the production above 2,000 ounces a month once we have the which the drilling is completed, because uh, we'll have we'll have the material there. Then, and then uh, also there's another 24,000 hectares below us, which are also gold bearing, um, which were is all part. It's part of it. We have illegals across the entire area, and they're taking gold out at about five kilos a month. Um, I, I know that because the average you know illegal tries to get about or artisanal, artisanal. Uh, they try to take out about uh, an ounce a month. Um, so I just need to count how many I got there. And we're losing probably about five kilos, but they're using wheelbarrows, uh, picks and shovels, and they're down in the south of our project, which is a river called the Tory River. And that there they can process. They can't really process where we're at because there's no water. We have to drill for the water. And we were down the hydros, the hydros there, so we know that you know we have the water we need, but they can't do it. Okay, so sticking sticking with project number one, we'll come on to we'll we'll, we'll come on to meanwhile later. Is you you've got to reinvest your money, reinvest your money, reinvest your money. So and I'm trying to get a sense of how much data you've got, how much you know conventional um, reporting you're going to have to produce to understand what it is that you've got, or is it just a case of we're going to start drilling and and build and build this resource out, and we're not going to be that conventional about it because we're producing cash? No, we have we have a 4201 from uh, 2010 uh, on Sangier, which basically shows between the two ore bodies. There's 835,000 inferred ounces. They never did the infill drilling. Uh, that'll bring us, that'll, we, we bring that up into uh, indicated and measured. This, uh, and from what Frank has told us, this uh, not only goes on another kilometer to the coast, but they had no drilling holes there. So the first part where the 825, 35 is, we, we know we'll bring a lot on. And we're expecting that if Frank's right, this phenomenon does go to the coast, we'll bring a lot more on from that too. It should be double what we have right now. That I've already identified. So yeah, there there is some, there is some uh, turkey shooting going on there, but it's basically informed turkey shooting, and you know it's already based on another report that just show that there is you know a resource there. Right. Okay. And but again, I'm just trying to understand understand it because there's there's a lot of you know history to this, and there's it's slightly unconventional. Sure. But I do like the business model of getting into cash flow quicker. So I'm wondering, what what are the other things that you need to have in place? During this period of building it, building it out with your six point three million bucks, in terms of additional licenses, permits, equipment, and you've told me about you know obviously you can lease some of it, uh, getting the uh, getting workers to site. I mean, how much how much more does this involve? Because you're making it sound quite simple. Well, basically, because I, I guess I've worked there and I kind of on the project all the time. The license once we get these last two issues done, we have the license for thirty years. The permitting is finished. Right. There's no additional permitting needed. It's uh, called a, a contract of works. Right. Um, contract of works is the license that was issued up to 2005. Um, they are very unique because only 90 were issued, and you can actually you have actually contract with the government. So it's not a uh, current licensing is just basically you're given a license, you know, to mine before you had a contract to mine. It's a very large difference. Um, so we have that for 30 years. Uh, the people I have the people ready. I've had the people ready for three years. Um, you know, there's some of the guys that are working on the projects now, but they're waiting for me to get started back up so they can come back and work for us. Um, the, the equipment, most equipment is available on the island. Um, this island, where Sangi is actually an island off of North Sulawesi, about uh, 200 kilometers. There's a daily flight that goes on to it. It's got better infrastructure than I had before in my old mine around Tuk Tuk. I got paved roads. I've got a uh, uh, Power grid. I have um, cell service. I didn't have any of those things at Rattatuk. So basically, it's a quite a 
luxurious place to mine, you know, for me. Right. Um, also, there is a large mining community on San Diego. A lot of these guys go mining into North San Luis because there's quite a few mines in North San Luis. So a lot of these guys will be glad to come back and work from home. Um, go home at, yeah, that means I don't have a canteen, don't need to have uh, barracks because most people are going to live there. Um, so it's actually, it's, it's a very convenient place to mine compared to a lot of areas you'll find. In the okay. So you, you said to me, you're not a promoter, which I like, um, but you're also not a markets guy. So how do you, with this first project, show value? Because you're, you're plowing your money back in the ground for you know, quite a while. So what, what are the moments for you that you think the market should react to in terms of saying, ah, this guy's got something with, with this first project? Well, I think once we were into cash flow, and basically we're, we're showing that we can bring in a million dollars free cash flow every month. Some of that would be going in back to the ground, but not all of it. I mean, basically, uh, even if I wanted to, I couldn't throw it all back on the ground that fast. So there will basically be, you know, a really good, uh, you know, we'll be building up cash really quickly at that time. Again, to use for other projects, you know, and we'll invest that, you know, in the way that it's to be needed. But, you know, we, I think once the market sees we have that free cash flow and they do evaluation on it, the share, I mean, the share right now is nothing. It'll, it'll go up by, you know, by a number of, you know, a factor of quite a few. Okay, so that's Sankey. Let's talk about Miwa, okay, because you've got a lot of data there. It's not on the books, but you obviously are able to resurrect that in some way. So first of all, let's talk about how do you resurrect that given it's not on the books? I mean, who technically owns it right now? Basically, resurrect two ways. One, basically, we have, like I said, we have the data. Uh, we have the, uh, uh, I mean, again, how it came off the books, I was told basically something to do with the TSX. After a certain period of time, you have to you know, do something. I took it off the books. Uh, this is long before I got there, so I don't know why it's not on the books. But number, uh, but on the ground in Indonesia, um, we have the project suspension. Is the last thing ever done with it. Suspension means you just it's it's in it's what it says it's suspended. Um, I mean, basically the problem is also the companies paid no uh, taxes or fees or filed any reports for six years. Three years before I got there, the last three years we haven't bothered either. Um, basically, because we didn't, you know, we weren't even sure for the first year what the status was. But yeah, so that doesn't put you in a strong position. But we have to catch all that up. We also, I also have a plan to restructure it. Um, so we get it back up. We have to restructure it and get rid of the, the protective forest. All that basically is very costly, um, and it can be done. Um, we were talking to several financial partners who you may be coming in that might be able to help us with that. Um, but we won't. I, that's not going to be my first uh, choice for my cash. I'd rather have the company to be certain. Even with that one pit of sixty thousand ounces. Or fifty-eight thousand ounces. We got we got ninety million dollars right now. I guess a hundred million dollars sitting there. That'll keep the company going for quite a while. It can be that money can be invested in a number of ways, including expanding you know the mine there in Sagia to basically you know to bring in a great deal of value for the shareholders. Uh, Miwa's is the is the icing on the cake. I mean, Miwa's the thing everyone talks about because it does have millions of ounces still not drilled out. It was stopped mid. It was stopped not even midway. They only drilled maybe out thirty percent of it before they had to stop. Um, so it is an exciting story, I agree, but the whole thing is being an operator, I'm always looking at how is the cash. Basically, I see the juniors going bank, trying to basically get that, you know, that dream. And I'm, don't, I'm a, not a very higher proponent of bankruptcy. So I do like to basically see the cash in the bank. I see, like seeing the cash going through the accounts. I like paying the people. I like getting paid myself. But at the same time, me, I mean, me was definitely something to run after. 
and okay. we are in the stronger position of anybody out there to do it. Okay, so let's come back to Sangir then. Obviously, Sprouts are shareholder 13 14%. Um, what's the history of why they're sitting on 13 to 14%? Because presumably, was that something to do with originally financing at, at, at MIWA, or they haven't come in recently? Yeah, before I came, they, they sunk a lot of money in this company when it was at $600 million. Yeah. Um, they put more money in, it has an issue back in 2015. They had a large, they very large holding when I came in. Uh, we've been raising money. Uh, you know what I said? This, this one promoter came in. We raised three million to basically we had to catch up on all the debts. We had to basically you know pay off the last management to get rid of them, and you know basically and then try to you know rebuild the company in Indonesia. Um, so that's diluted down from forty percent down. I think now they're fully diluted with their warrants are probably twenty three percent. So okay. basically, twenty two percent. Uh, and they're basically they have told us from the beginning that until they get to below twenty percent, they can't put more money into this. They have something as they're a fund. They've got some kind of waiver, evidently, that doesn't allow them to uh, invest until they're you know, below that. Okay, so then the, obviously this is um, via Tocqueville Gold Fund originally, um, which is now part of Sprott. Um, right. Okay, so that, I guess that answers my next question, which is why they're not putting money in now, because you could go. That's there's no they, there's nothing for them. They've been very, well, you know, it's, it's actually, John Hathaway wasn't looking at this at all. I mean, until I came and sort of spoke to him that, you know, we were going to have to sue the company. We were going to do that. And he suggested that take over, you know, why don't you take over the whole company? Um, and basically offered their shares, you know, even this, I could buy all the shares if I wanted. Um, but the promoter that I was working with suggested we keep them in. So uh, I followed the promoter. You know, we're partners. So, uh but they've been very supportive. They have someone that you know, I talk to pretty much every week, and they've been very they've been very helpful in so in a lot of ways behind the scenes. So I can't say I'm disappointed with you know they have their they have their regulations they have to follow. So um, but they what they can help what they have. So okay. John Hathaway has been support for for something very that doesn't even register on their books. He's been very supportive. And I get that they're trying to recoup an investment which hasn't gone well for them, you know, from whenever the money went in. Um, so they can't put money into this, is what you're saying. Is that what you just said? That's what I've been told. I've been told that basically yeah, until they're below twenty percent, they really don't have an option to put money in. Okay. okay. Fully diluted. Okay, so that doesn't sound like it's happening. So, but but that's fine. So they're being supportive in other ways. It's a it's a great organization to be associated with. But at the same time, they've got a lot of bets. Oh, yeah, but saying that a lot of time, at the same time, they've got a lot of bets on on a lot of companies, you know. And if you can fix this for them, yep. I'm sure I'll be delighted, um, you know, that, that you can do that. But so, where are you going to go and get this money from? Are you going to go local, Indonesia? Are you going to stick with Asia? You've got someone helping you in the IR front there. Where are you looking? Well, we're now we're doing. Uh, I mean, I'm starting to. I mean, I've not used the public company because I don't understand it very well. So now I've you know, brought someone on to basically uh, you know fully implement the public side, and uh, so getting our getting our uh, name out there again, trying to correct the perception that this is you know the play saggy, not me well right now, um, and basically what that means. Um, so it's basically trying to get out there with uh, the actual story. Which I think is actually more exciting. Miwa is a great story, but it's, it's years ago, and it's a lot. You know, and you know, you can spend a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, to get that to where it's in production. Uh, but you know, then you're probably maybe talking ten million ounces. But right now, you probably have several million ounces, basically, with with Sangye in the near term. And so, you know, basically, so trying to correct that perception and get, and so we're using the public the, the public space to raise hope the one point three. 
Um, I am discussions with a company in Japan and companies uh, also in the U.S. on some royalties, so possibly for the, for the construction. Um, so we are looking at you know other ways we could be more non-dilutive on the next on the next rounds. But again, it's open. We haven't closed anything yet, but we are in discussions. Is being public helpful, or would would it be easier if you're private? Unfortunately, I've gotten away. I, I can't go back. Um, I I kind of wish I'd stayed private myself. Um, it's been a learning experience, without a doubt. Um, it, it looked more more simple running a public company than I thought. Um, and I've made mistakes, which I you know believe that you know delayed funding, um, and that's delayed getting the project moving. I should be in production. I should be in production last year, uh, but now basically I believe I brought the people. I brought the right again. It's all people. I didn't have. I didn't really have people that really could. That's why I've, you know decided better invest in people that can, you know, make this happen and educate me. And they, I don't really want to be educated anymore. I want someone that knows how to do it. So, uh, and that's why I brought this gentleman in. He's got a great track record. He's raised millions and millions of dollars, you know, basically for resource companies. He and he knows. Uh, yeah, he's got a great book. So, um, so I'm I'm putting myself in his hands, and following his lead. Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much know I don't know how to do it. So basically, but we have a great. It's, it's it's a it's a public company. I'm trying to convert all of my debt into shares. I believe the share price is going to be you know far above what it is right now. And I've been keeping the the company afloat with my own money. So I've been keeping you know throwing cash in there. I believe it. I mean, I know the asset. I mean, I wished I had the whole land asset. You know, but basically, it's, it's a fabulous asset, um, and it still gives me a heart on at night. But uh, basically, we have to deal with reality. We're a public company. You know, uh, and you know, this gentleman is going to get us to that. I think that the place where we'll be very successful and very you know, highly uh, rated public company. Well, with gold at seventeen twenty-five, it's becoming more attractive every day. I guess so. Uh, Terry, it's helpful. I, it's very helpful. <laughs> it's very helpful, um, Terry. I wish you well with that one. It, feel, it feels like uh, a family office should be uh, talking to you about uh, funding you. Um, so you know, keep telling that story. I wish I wish wish you uh, well. Uh, gold's definitely heading the right way for you. Um, and stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. I appreciate it. And basically, thank you very much for the opportunity to tell my story. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.